Hey y'all, this is Sam Brady, and you are listening to the very first episode ever of Reading the Egg, the next evolution in audiobook technology. Well, it's not really. It's just me reading you stories that I've written. It's Audio Flash, where I have written flash fiction pieces. Some of them will be from my blog, some not. But I'm going to read them to you, and I hope you like them, because I've really had a lot of fun reading them and writing them, and now I'm going to share them with you, which I'm hoping will be fun as well. Um, most of the stories that I'm going to read you have come from a variety of sources. Some are based on prompts that I got off of Chuck Wendig's Flash Fiction Friday challenge series back a few years ago. Some are just stories that I wrote myself, just, you know, I got an idea and I wrote it down. And some are based on other different types of prompts that I'll get into when I read some of those stories. Since today is the first episode, I figured I would have some fun and read you two stories. And they are connected, which is why I chose to pair them together. They are uh, both Chuck Wendig stories. Um, and I really had a lot of fun writing these. I love these stories so much. Uh, the first one I wrote back in February of 2016. And the prompt for this particular story was we had two lists of different subgenres from fantasy, science fiction, horror, just two lists of subgenres. And we were supposed to pick one off of each list, combine them, and write a story. And the two that I chose were Southern Gothic and Kaiju. Kaiju, for those who don't know, is like Godzilla. You know, big, giant creatures, rampaging, smashing things. You know, a lot of different anime. You know, Voltron, Ultraman, Iron Giant, things like that. You know, they can be heroic. They can be evil. Uh, Kaiju. And then Southern Gothic. It's kind of like Interview with a Vampire. You know, it's sort of that... It's it's almost like horror, but it's got like a real sort of a southern tinge to it, and it's just kind of cool. And, you know, I like both of these. I don't do a lot of reading in either genre, but I kind of know what they are enough that I was able to fool around and kind of pick this story. And I hope you like it. When I first wrote it, I called it The Last Stand of Dickie Metter. And when I got to thinking about it later, I decided that was kind of a stupid title. So I renamed it. It is now called For Want of a Pig. The moon shone down through the giant magnolia trees in the front yard. The light glinted off the waxy leaves, giving the night a slippery, oily aspect. The orange light coming from the woods to the south bespoke something else entirely. Mother Spencer staggered out of those woods, dazed, her skirts ripped in several places. The others followed, stumbling as they tried to stay upright. They gathered under the trees. Haunted eyes looked out of Mother Spencer's face as she stared back the way they had come. Her voice shook. What have we done? The smoke drifted upward and obscured the moon. 
They had gone into the woods not even an hour earlier. As they trekked south, the magnolia trees in the yard had given way to cypress and pine, with the occasional oak standing proud and wide. Spanish moss hung down from nearly every tree, and they pushed it aside in the places it crossed the path. For the first time in nearly half a lifetime, they came to the place of ritual, where women like them had been coming for nearly 300 years, since Oglethorpe had first led the English to Savannah. Their people had been farming the land in this place since then, and they themselves were the descendants of powerful women who had learned to harness the power of nature and the land to suit their own ends and for the benefit of the town, if that suited their own ends. The place of ritual was a clearing in the midst of a stand of pine trees. Generations of women had kept the trees free of moss and the grounds weeded and trimmed. In the middle of the clearing was an old cypress stump, carved with words of power and symbols of incantation and protection. Their earliest forebears had brought these symbols and the rituals that used them over the sea from England, and they had been passed from mouth to mouth and heart to heart down through the years. The women formed a circle around the stump as was traditional and right. Mother Spencer stood at its apex. Her soft, blue, homespun dress reflected the moonlight as the clouds moved aside to let the mother gaze down upon them. Mother Spencer looked into the sky and smiled, reaching out in supplication to the moon. We see you, Mother. Smile down upon your daughters. The others in the circle gave the response, Smile down upon us. Mother Spencer was the latest guardian of the words. She was the keeper of the lore, and the power of the circle resided in her. Slowly, she turned on the spot, one revolution clockwise, one the other way. The others followed suit. Prepare the ritual, she said. A town had grown up not far from the place of ritual, back when the place was new. No one except the women of the circle knew about the place, or knew the true reason the town had been placed where it was. In the centuries since the town's birth, they had used the power of the place, focused by the aura of the town, to influence events and shape the development of the town and its people whenever needed. Now it was time to do it again. A mayoral election was fast approaching, and one of the available candidates was neither morally worthy of the office nor qualified to fill it. Modern society was bankrupt, Mother Spencer had decided. The world was going to hell. She decided she had to do what she could to make things right. The old ways needed to come again. It was nearly 30 years since the ritual had last been called. Mother Spencer, to her embarrassment, found that she remembered little of the lore she had been entrusted with. She wasn't sure she could perform the ritual. She couldn't back down now, though. The others had gathered, and she had to follow through or be shamed before them all. It would not do. She would look as foolish as those idiots supporting Dickie Meta for mayor. 
I'll remember it by the time we reach the clearing, she thought. Fifteen minutes later, they were in the clearing. She hadn't remembered. She moved ahead anyway. Bring forth the offering. She pointed at the stump. Clara Wright came forward, carrying a canvas sack. She reached in, pulled out an unconscious possum, and laid it on the stump. She cast her eyes toward the ground, unwilling to meet Mother Spencer's gaze. It's supposed to be a pig, Clara, Mother Spencer said. Please, Mother, said Clara, there weren't none. Cleet killed the last one this morning for breakfast. We ain't got no more. I couldn't come with an empty bag, so I got him on the way to your house. She looked guiltily at the others. I had to hit him with a rock to knock him out. He'd never have gone in the bag if he wasn't out cold. Mother Spencer sighed. The ritual was probably already far enough, far enough off the track that having a possum rather than a pig probably couldn't make it any worse. She nodded, and Clara laid the canvas bag on the ground beside the stump, curtsied, and moved back to her place in the circle. Mother Spencer walked forward to stand beside the stump. She reached into the pocket of her apron and pulled out her husband's hunting knife. She held it up for all to see. The moonlight glinted off the polished steel blade and serrated edge. The circle began to chant. The women began turning, first one way, then the other. They weren't all turning at the same rate of speed or in the same direction. Mother Spencer sighed again. It'll have to do, she thought. She began to shout. She couldn't remember the exact words of the ritual, so she called upon her Pentecostal upbringing and began to shout syllables and words that she had heard other women shout in church. It was said they were speaking in tongues, a gift given from the Holy Ghost. She knew she shouldn't be doing it, but she didn't want Dickie Metter to be mayor. She hoped the Holy Ghost would forgive her. Still shouting, she closed her eyes and swung the knife down. As it descended, a blue spark jumped out of Mother Spencer's mouth. It moved down the length of her arm into the knife just as the blade penetrated the body of the possum, stretched prone on the stump at her feet. There was a flash of blue light. The possum's eyes snapped open and he roared. It sounded like the smallest, full-sized grizzly bear any bun had ever seen. It's not a sound a possum should make. At the sound, the women stopped dancing and twirling and stared in shock at the stump. The possum stood up. It looked out at them, its beady eyes glowing red. Its long, bald tail suddenly shone bright orange. They had to turn away, so they didn't see the light in the possum's tail go out as it opened its mouth and breathed a spray of fire that almost reached Mary Damper's shoes. The grass caught fire at Mary's feet. The possum turned its head and blew another spray in the other direction. 
then it began to grow. It twisted its head and roared again, louder than before. It gnashed its teeth as it got bigger and bigger. Mother Spencer began to run, heading for the woods, and the others followed her. Meg Preston was the only one who looked back, and the possum was the size of a large deer and getting bigger. In her surprise, she stumbled and ran into a tree. The possum was on her in a moment in a whirlwind of teeth and flame and glowing red eyes. It continued to grow even as it fed. By the time it spat Meg Preston's eyeglasses out on the ground, it was nearly 15 feet tall. The possum could hear the women of the circle as they ran, dresses catching on branches, ripping, tearing as they continued on their frantic passage through the woods. It sniffed. It could smell them. Its tail glowed orange again and whipped back and forth. It breathed again and the pine woods began to burn. The women stood under the magnolia trees as the possum, now almost 30 feet tall, came crashing out of the woods in a shower of sparks. Behind it, the forest was an inferno, the pine trees and Spanish moss combining to provide exceptional kindling. The last thing Mother Spencer saw was a red eye, as big around as a dinner plate, and a flash of orange. Then the world went black. Leaving the farmhouse flattened and the woods ablaze, the possum sniffed. There was something off that way, it thought, and it started up the road towards town. It wasn't long before the screams began. Needless to say, Dickie Metter was not elected mayor. So that was For Want of a Pig, which is, again, was posted on my blog, Writing the Egg, back in 2016. Now I'm going to read to you a story that I wrote that was a sequel to that one. Uh, Chuck Wendig's prompt for this one, this was a little over a year later. This was in early 2017, March 15th. And his challenge this week was create your own monster. You know, he said, you know, come up with a monster, write about it. And I happened to think I had this possum that I wrote about the year before, this giant fire-breathing kaiju possum. So I decided to bring him back. Um, I gave him a name. His name is now Possum Geddon, as you might expect. And I wrote this story about him, and it is called Burn. Possum Geddon had come out of the swamps of South Georgia in a swath of fire and destruction. He had been born in a dark ritual that had gone horribly wrong. Those that created him had paid the price for their mistakes. He was nearly 30 feet tall and more than twice as long. His eyes glowed orange, heralding the release of a sheet of flame and heat that spread out over nearly an acre at a time. In the six weeks since he had emerged, he had rampaged across half of Georgia, laying waste to Waycross, 
Tifton, and Albany before turning south towards Florida. Thomasville was in his sights as he stormed down Highway 19, and it was only a matter of time before he crossed the state line and moved into Tallahassee. The football team at Florida State was good, but Clemson wasn't nearly as strong an opponent as Possum Geddon would be. The tomahawk chop isn't going to do anybody any good against a 30-foot-tall possum that breathes fire. He was pursued by both hunters and paparazzi. The hunters, military and civilian alike, had been unable to bring him to a stop. His skin repelled bullets, shells, even small rockets. The paparazzi pursued him on foot or in cars as they were able and from the air at all times. His exploits featured on several live YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and Snapchat feeds. He had more followers than the President, the Pope, and April the Giraffe combined. It seemed destruction trumped childbirth. At Possum Geddon was the fastest growing account on Twitter and regaled the world with boasts and predictions of what he would do next. He found himself in a pine wood. He liked pine woods. They burned much more readily than the cypress and oak had back east. He swung his tail, as big around as a railroad tie and 20 feet long, in an arc that swept several jagged pines off the ground like bowling pins. His eyes glowed, his mouth opened, and flame sprayed. Above him, three helicopters and an armada of drones recorded everything and sent images out into the world on his various accounts. As long as they kept their presence, he tolerated them. He knew they were there. Every so often, he would look up at them and roar. He occasionally tried burning them down, but his flame was not as effective when the target was above him. Yesterday he had tried again, and the fire he breathed had rained back down onto him and had seemed to hurt him, or at least make him uncomfortable enough to wince. That possible weakness had been noticed, and soon Possum Geddon was accosted by a herd of tanks mounted with massive flamethrowers as their primary weapon. They spewed out flame of their own, but he didn't bat an eye. Instead, he had waded in among them and smashed them to pieces. Apparently, it was only his own flame that could hurt him. He was a few miles north of Thomasville. He had just emerged from the woods into a clearing, leaving the trees fired and burning behind him when they surrounded him again. There were tanks on the ground and military drones in the air. They harried him, the drones darting in and out, trying to draw breath from him, the tanks pounding away at his legs and flanks. His reacting to one set of attackers prompted a redoubled effort from the other. Finally, they got the response they wanted. The drones were low enough that he was able to spray them, and several of them caught fire. They immediately turned and dove towards him, crashing into him. The flames caught in his fur. They smoldered. Then a gust of wind blew them alight, and Possum Giddon began to burn, fired by his own breath. He stopped, shocked, feeling pain like he had never felt before. 
He bucked and kicked like a bronco, and his tail whiplashed, sweeping tanks from around him in a widening arc. Sparks and embers flew from him, and random discharges of flame went in all directions. One of them caught a news chopper that had gotten too close, and it exploded, the wash of flame being the last thing the pilot, the camera operator, and their viewers saw. Around the world, people tuned in, driving traffic to his feeds and views on his channels to all-time highs. As he burned, another wave of drones flew in and deliberately crashed into him, plunging the flames that were burning him, then rolling across his body, drawing new streaks of torment all along his back and sides. He stumbled through the clearing, roaring and burning, leaving trails of fire on the ground to mark his passage. He crested a small hill, then lost his balance and fell, tumbling down the backside of the slope in a tangle of burning fur and paws and tail and noise. There was a wide pond at the bottom of the hill. His roll took him straight into the pond, it was deep enough that, as he rolled, he was completely submerged. The water boiled and hissed, and steam rose in sheets as the flames consuming Possum Geddon met the surface of the water. The world held its breath. The two remaining choppers and another fleet of drones hovered, cameras and microphones pointed at the pond. Nothing happened. Smoke continued to rise, drifting away in a gentle breeze. Away to the north, the pine woods and the grass in the clearing continued to burn. After a few minutes, a few drones were directed down to the surface of the pond. When there was no reaction from Possum Geddon, they collected a load of water, which they carried up and dumped on the fire on the other side of the hill. Nothing stirred in the water. After an hour of waiting, the county's fire department responded. Their efforts, combined with the drones continuing to take water from the pond, got the burning woodlands under control. The land was scarred, but it was whole. Thomasville breathed a sigh of relief, and Tallahassee prepared for the Miami game on Saturday night like nothing had happened. Still, nothing stirred in the water. Eventually, after several days of no activity, the last of the drones turned their cameras off and left the little pond. One by one, the Possum Geddon Facebook pages and Snapchat feeds were discontinued, the YouTube channel shut down, and at Possum Geddon began a, became a spoof account showing purported Loch Ness monster videos and trading Bigfoot and Chupacabra theories. Three months later, in the dead of night, unseen by any human or machine, there was an orange glow at the bottom of the pond. A rush of bubbles rose to the surface and burst in a cloudy curtain of steam. Slowly, Possum Geddon emerged from the pond. His fur was almost completely gone but was growing back at different rates in a crazy patchwork on his heavily scarred back. His breath was coming in ragged spurts. 
His eyes narrowed, then glowed again, his tail twitching fitfully. He began to grow. That was Burn, the second Possum Geddon story. I have never written a third one. I mean, obviously there's a hook there to go on and do a third one, but I just have never gone back and done it. I probably will someday, because Possum Geddon is so much fun, and I want to see what he does next. Well, thank you for listening. Again, this this episode is probably about twice as long as it usually will be. You know, most episodes I'm only going to read one story. But again, you know, since this was the first episode, I thought I'd give you a double shot, kind of, you know, read these two related stories and kind of give you a good idea of what you're going to be in for if you keep listening. I really hope that you do keep listening. I hope you come back. This is a lot of fun for me. I'm really getting a kick out of it. Again, I would like to thank the kind folks at the 23 Scududio for giving me a microphone that allows me to do this. This is really, really cool, and it's really a lot of fun. So you folks there at the Scududio, thank you so much. I hope you are listening. I hope you're enjoying the show. Tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your family, tell everybody you know to come listen to Reading the Egg because it's a fun time. I'm Sam, and I will see you next time. Y'all be good. Bye.